0: Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us out in worship. Aren't we blessed by their ministry this morning? Thank you so much. That last song, Never Walk Alone, uh, just from a musical standpoint, I always thought of that as Doug's signature song. (laughs) Because, you know, he just soars uh, on some of those uh, phrases. But I never felt as more of Doug's signature song than this morning, right? Never walk alone. I know he and Chris know that and experience that as they never have in their lives. And it's wonderful to celebrate that and also claim it as our gift from the Lord Jesus Christ. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You will never walk alone. Amen. And mentioning Doug, we've had so many folks reach out and ask how they can uh, be of help to Doug and Chris and their family. And, of course, uh, first and foremost, beyond all gifts, is the gift of your loving prayers. And I know that you have been doing that and encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, in normal circumstances, people would ask about making visits or bringing food by, but in the circumstances with Doug's uh, situation, Uh, it's important for uh, him not to be exposed uh, that way now, so uh, no visits, and also the food, a very uh, selective diet for him, as you can understand, so I ask you to be understanding of that. But also, uh, in terms of being a uh, personal practical help, the elders this uh, past week or so have given thought to that, of course, there are a lot of expenses, as you can imagine, associated with uh, Doug's uh, care. We're so grateful for the insurance that's provided, but I think we all know that there are numbers of things that are associated with these. And so uh, there has been set aside uh, the Bromley Family Fund. And if you would like to contribute uh, to uh, be a blessing to Doug and Chris, their family, in a, in a financial way, you can do that online or you can simply take an envelope, uh, place it in the, uh, uh, the containers for tithes and offerings in our entry areas. If you'd like to bring it by the church or mail it, you can do that as well. So that is a way that if you'd like to give financially to their needs, that's a wonderful opportunity. So I hope you'll be praying about that. But again, how grateful we are for our Lord's uh, kindness and blessing right how grateful we are well let's turn to the gospel of Luke and we had the passage read for us this morning Luke chapter 21 and if you are new to worshiping with us either today or recent Sundays uh, we are coming back to a series that we have been involved in for uh, quite a time through the gospel of Luke and we have Uh, ...stepped away for some special emphases uh, in the church, of course, during the Advent season. uh, We did that. But now we're coming back to this wonderful, wonderful study. Walk with the Lord through the Gospel of Luke. We resume it today and we'll follow this right up until the conclusion of Luke. That's going to be about the Easter season. So how fitting as we started Luke... Uh, In the Advent season, a year or two ago, and now we are going to finish it as we come to celebrate our Lord's resurrection. So I'm excited for us to return to this passage. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 21. And as you turn there, I want to begin by just sharing some opening words to one of the greatest speeches in the history of the United States. The speaker said, "This quote: If we could first know where we are and whither we are tending, we could better judge what to do and how to do it." Anyone know who is that speaker? That's exactly right. I heard that is Abraham Lincoln. It's the opening of his famous speech from 1858, A House Divided, where he quoted our Lord's words in reference to the crisis facing the nation over slavery. The house divided against itself cannot stand. Now that was a great speech. And it made very clear and approaching national crises and how Americans at that time had to decide how they would respond to this crisis. A great speech, but Lincoln's words pale in comparison to the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in Luke chapter 21. Because the Lord here, in this message... ...which begins in verse 5 of chapter 21. It goes all the way through verse 36. It describes a coming crisis. A coming crisis for his disciples then... ...and his disciples for all time. And now we're going to look at this... ...listen to how Jesus describes... That his disciples should respond to the coming crisis. It's looming. It's inescapable. It defines everything. How should we then live in response to it? So this Sunday, and Lord willing, next Sunday... I want us to talk about this coming crisis and what Jesus had to say. This morning, our theme is the kingdom in conflict. And then next Sunday, taking this same message from the Lord, we will talk about the king is coming, right? The kingdom is in conflict. I have no doubt about it, the kingdom is in conflict... ...but the king is coming, right? He is coming. Now I want to remind ourselves as we dive back in here in Luke of the context. Remember all the way back from the final verses of Luke chapter 9... ...all the way up to this place, Jesus has been journeying toward Jerusalem... And toward the cross and toward, yes, the tomb and the empty tomb. With his resurrection. Now Jesus in his earthly ministries in his final days. This, This is the final few days before the cross. He is daily entering the temple to teach. At night he goes across the brook. ...Kidron to sleep beneath the olive trees on the Mount of Olives. So he's teaching daily in the temple. You know he's referred to the temple as his father's house. And he's loved it all of his life. He called it his father's house. You remember when he was 12 years old... ...and his mother's father could not find him. He said... How should you not recognize that be about my father's business? Here, my father's house. He refers to it as he begins his ministry, as his father's house. He refers to it at the end of his ministry, as his father's house. But he also calls it something else, doesn't he? He says, you've turned my father's house into what? A den of thieves. (laughs) Jesus, not once, but twice... Turned upside down the tables of the money changers. He turned upside down this religious money-making machine that had been created. In reality, that's what the whole system of the temple in many ways had become. It had just become a machine for power, for domination, for people in the name of God, to make themselves rich. And it was at the cost of the abuse of the poorest and the most vulnerable in society. And if you look at our text, look just a few verses before in chapter 20, verse 47, when Jesus condemned the religious leaders this way, He said, They devour widows' houses. They devour widows' houses. And notice, without a chapter break, what's the next thing that is called to our attention? A widow with the deepest of faith and devotion to the Lord giving in the treasury. And Jesus takes note of her heart, of her devotion... Of how she's using what little she has by faith. But he recognizes that humanly speaking, the whole operation of Judaism in Jerusalem. Of the operation of the temple is about power and money. And it is taking the most terrible abuse and using it to fund religion. That's what Jesus sees. That's what he sees. He sees the evil, he sees the hypocrisy, and he sees the abuses of what? Listen carefully, nationalized religion, nationalized religion. When religion, yes, Christianity is melded with politics, it is evil. Hypocrisy and abusive. It's done in the name of God. But it is utterly godless. It's been that way from the Tower of Babel until this very moment. Man-made religion is a God-despised system. The master sees this. He sees what the disciples don't see. And that's the cause of what he says. Notice first of all, our Lord's astounding prediction. His astounding prediction. Listen to Jesus, verses 5 and 6. And while some were speaking of the temple how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will be not left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now the disciples, most of them country fellows, from Galilee, are just mesmerized and they are enamored by the beauty of the temple. And who would not be? Its it's incredible glory and ostentation was a wonder. The, The temple in Jesus' day had been under construction for over 40 years and it still would not be completed for 30 more years. And already it was regarded as one of the wonders of the world. Made of huge stones. Some of them as big as a box car. Foundation stones weighing 200,000 pounds. These marble stones are, many of them, gold encrusted. Precious jewels have been attached to them. The entire roof... Of the temple itself. Is covered with gold. Josephus. A Jewish. Contemporary. In this first century. Said that when you looked at the temple from a distance. It looked like a mountain of snow. And when you stood near it. In the sunlight. It was Blinding as the beams shined off the stones and the gold. It was an object of wonder. But Jesus said, This symbol of religion, which was an object of wonder to the people then, he said, is an object of God's judgment. It's an object of judgment. And he made an astounding prediction. Listen to him again. Verse 6. As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, imagine if you're one of Jesus' disciples... All your hopes and dreams for this journey to Jerusalem. Knowing that your master is the Messiah, the Son of God. Knowing that this is the house of David. It is the city of the great king. It is the temple of God. And your master is his son. To have him say, all these stones. ...are going to be torn down. It astounds them. They have have no way of even reconciling this. And so notice the disciples' probing question. What what do they ask when they hear this astounding prediction from Jesus? Verse 7, here's their probing question. They ask Him, Teacher... When will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, actually, their question is really two questions in one. When they, they hear this astounding prediction by Jesus, they, they ask, Master, when will this take place and, and how will we know? And in response to their twofold question, when will this take place and how will we know? Jesus gives a twofold answer. He gives a actually threefold answer as we will see. He gives a threefold answer to their twofold question. Number one, when will this happen? He's going to answer that question. When will this happen? Now, Jesus understands. What does Jesus understand? He understands that when he describes the temple being destroyed, his disciples are connecting it in their minds with the end of all things. The destruction of the temple to them is also connected to the end of all things. And Jesus knows this. And so, notice what Jesus does. He takes those two things that are connected in the minds of his disciples. The destruction of the temple and the end of all things. And he's going to show that... Though they are similar, they're greatly separated. There's the destruction of the temple. But it's not the end of all things. They're separated. The destruction of the temple is near. Jesus knows it's near. How near is it? It's just 27 years away. In 70 A.D. Or we could say, do my math better, 37 years away, okay? Aren't you interested and impressed how I corrected that right here in real time? (laughs) just seemed like I heard the Lord saying, "Uh -uh." (laughs) (laughs) uh-uh. Check your math. 37 years. What's going to happen? A revolt, a war. ...against Rome will start about 66, 67 A.D. Eventually, the city of Jerusalem will be surrounded by the armies of Emperor Titus. Finally, after a long, long siege, walls will be breached. Fires are set out. Fires are set up out on the hill of the temple fires are so raging, they begin to melt the gold that covers many of the stones. And the golden roof of the temple, the gold flows down into the stones. And so what do the Roman soldiers do? They take crowbars and they tear the stones down stone by stone. Incredible wealth. Beyond imagination goes to those legions, goes to their commander. That money, those treasures, eventually carried to Rome. The money from that is used to build the Colosseum. Now, Jesus says there's something near, there's the destruction of the temple. But there's something far away, the end of all things. They're they're not close together. They've already been separated by nearly 2,000 years. And so Jesus answered to the question, when will these things be and and how shall we know when these things have come? Jesus answers them both near and far. This is the key to unlocking what Jesus is saying. He's answering the near, the destruction of the temple. But he's also answering the far, the judgment that's going to come. Which the destruction of the temple just represents. Now notice, we... We see this. How do we know that that's how Jesus answers? How do we know that this is how Jesus is answering? The near and the far. We'll look at what he said in verse 9. One phrase in verse 9. For these things must first take place. He's describing the destruction of the temple. But the end will not come at once. He's saying the destruction of the temple... It's not the end of all things. It's the beginning of the end in some ways in the time frame of God. It's in some ways the beginning of the last days, but it's the beginning of the end. It's lasted for 2,000 years. What's going to happen between that near and far? Well, look at verse 12. Again, something Jesus says... But before all this, before all this, what's the this? It's the signs of the end times. It's the signs of the end times that he is describing. They're not all fulfilled with the destruction of the temple. He says, these things are near, verse 9. But the end's not coming at once. Then he says in verse 12, but before all this, before all this, what's he talking about? All that he describes in verses 8 through 11 that are going to characterize the end time." Near and far. They'll characterize some things that will happen when Jerusalem is destroyed. Some of these things are going to happen to these disciples who are standing here with Him. But some of these things are far. They'll be fulfilled at the end. There are signs that are near and there are signs that are far. Now... The second part of Jesus' answer, his threefold answer, is this. Okay, this is when, it's it's near and it's far. Well, what's going to happen? What will happen near and far? Not only at the destruction at the temple, which is near. And maybe some of these things will happen. He describes even before the destruction of the temple. But what are the things that are going to happen at the end of the world? What, what kind of things are going to happen? Well, there will be. Jesus says near term, verse 6. We just read it. The destruction of the temple. For these things that you see. This building. This monument. This <laughs> monument. These stones, one stone upon another, they'll all be thrown down. There's going to be the destruction of the temple. What's also going to happen soon, near term, and also it's going to continue long term. There are going to be false Christ. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. And he said... See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. I am he. The time is at hand. Do not go after them. He is saying that there is going to be very soon ones who will say that they are the Messiah. They are the true Christ. And he says, that's going to continue to the end of the age. There are going to be people who say they are coming. As a Messiah. As a deliverer. And if you know anything about history at all, you know that there has been individual after individual after individual claiming divine right, divine power. Some saying they are in reality the Christ, some say they are the incarnation of the Christ, but they are false Christs, and the Lord says, "Don't be deceived by them." What else is going to characterize this near and far? There will be the destruction of the temple, there will be false Christ, but then there will be warfare, near and far. There will be warfare. Look at verse 9. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Near in time there's going to be wars and tumults. Wars raging around Israel, war that will come to Israel before the destruction of the temple. But through the ages, uh, through the centuries, there's going to be war and tumult among the nations of the earth. Look at verse 10. He said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. I read an interesting statement from a noted historian this week... ...that said, in all of the recorded history of mankind... ...in all the recorded history of mankind, they yet have only found 268 years... ...when there's not documented war going on. And I will tell you, there will be more documents (laughs) that will show warfare... People against people, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It is the very fabric of man's existence on this earth. There will be the destruction of the temple. There will be false Christ near and in the distance. There will be warfare near and in the distance. What else will there be? There will be disasters. Natural disasters, physical disasters, signs in the atmosphere. Verse 11, there will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors. Let's stop there. How remote does that sound today? It has been the course of human history, but we've been gripped by it, haven't we? Soon to be the two-year mark of this pandemic. There will be natural disasters. These are going to be characteristic. Earthquakes, various places, there will be famines. Pestilences. Pestilences. There'll be atmospheric signs. These are signs that appear like stars, comets, meteors. These are things that will be happening. It's interesting. Just in the last seven days, reading about what? Tsunami out in the pacific ocean the near miss quote unquote of the meteor binhu two and a half times the size of the empire state building now near miss being 1 million miles but that's near <laughs> The pandemic, the continual changing, a mutation of just one virus has brought the world, in many ways, to its knees. These are perpetual events. And they're only a prelude for what is yet to come. Because as we'll see next week and as you read throughout the New Testament, these signs become more significant at the very end of the age. Preceding the coming of Christ. Now this begs the question. Here's the question. It's a question for disciples near and far. (laughs) The disciples in Jesus' day and the disciples many years later, like us, near and far. Those who were disciples then, and those who are disciples now, and those who will be disciples in the years yet to come if the if Jesus does not return. What will happen to the disciples? That's the next question they want to know. It's inherent. What's going to happen to the disciples? What should be expected? And Jesus says, this is what will happen to disciples. Not all of the disciples, but this will be a common characteristic for his disciples. What are they? Number one, persecution. Religious persecution. Persecution by religious authority and persecution by civil authority. Look at verse 12. Jesus brings them together. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues. That is religious persecution. In Jesus' day, the disciples' day, and it is continued in the name of God to this very day. Where in the name of God, the followers of Jesus are persecuted. And there will be civil persecution. Notice verse 12. You will be taken to prison. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This this little band of believers here standing with Jesus. is going to grow and grow and become so part of a worldwide movement that governors and kings and rulers will be actively involved with religious authorities persecuting disciples worst persecution of all is when the when the state and religion combine be persecution and then even persecution by family verse 16 You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. What did Jesus say? Because of me, a person's enemies will become those of their own household. He said, Do not believe I've come to bring peace on the earth. I've not come to bring peace at this time. He is the Prince of Peace. I've come to bring a sword. Because of me, father will be separated from son, mother, daughter, daughter daughter-in-law from mother-in-law. Households divided over what? Not over what? Over whom? Jesus. Why all the persecution? How can it be that followers of the meek and mild Son of God will suffer persecution. Verse 17, why will they be persecuted? You will be hated by all for my name's sake. It's because you are identifying with me. My name, who I am, not just lip service. But you actually identify yourself by me. You align your priorities on me. You make your allegiances based on me. You're owned by no one but me, your master, who has bought you with a great price. You follow no ultimate commander other than the commander of the Lord of hosts. You bow the knee to no one except the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those people are a threat. And if you don't believe it, start living for Jesus. You'll find out. You're a threat. Why? Because of Christ. You are reflecting His light in the world's darkness. What did Jesus say? The world hates the light. Men who don't know the light hate the light. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be crude. You don't have to have an axe to grind. Or a chip on your shoulder. Just bow the knee to Jesus in allegiance and follow the Lamb. And the wind of the world will always be in your face. All who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. We've not known much of that in America over the last decades and decades of this country. But I want to tell you that time is quickly evaporating. And I'm not talking about going to church kind of people. I'm talking about worshipers of the Lamb. I'm not talking about people who just give lip service to their faith. But they really live it. In our country. In this culture. The judgment has begun. And it is growing in intensity. And what is the Lord doing? I'll tell you what He's doing. Yes, the judgment is coming from wicked authorities. But that judgment is purifying His church. It's separating casual Christians from consecrated followers of Jesus. And casual Christians are already falling in their allegiance and in their faithfulness to the Word of God, and it's going to increase. But God will never leave Himself without a witness. And my friend, it is the persecution of the people of God that has always brought revival Amen. and evangelism. Jesus' threefold answer when will this happen? What will happen? How should followers of Jesus respond when this happens? How are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to live in light of this? Well, Jesus gives an answer and it's an answer for all times, plural. (laughs) All times. It's timely and it's timeless. And I leave this with you this morning for personal application how should i live in these days regardless what comes well sometimes you know how to discern what you should do by being very clear on what you should not do <laughs> that answers a lot and jesus gives four knots <laughs> Four knots to hold you close. Four knots to hold you strong, no matter what comes. What are they? Number one, do not be fooled. Do not be fooled. He warns about false Christ. Do you remember that? He said, there'll be false Christ. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by their false focus. What do I mean? Some people are false Christ because their message is antichrist some have a false focus that is everything they want to talk about in religion is about global events national politics wars and calamities that's the focus friend do not misunderstand what i'm saying you're not to fa- you're not to focus on calamities and the morning newspaper you're not to focus on global events you're to focus on Christ Focus on Christ. Don't be fooled by a false focus. Don't be fooled by a false emphasis. Jesus here is talking about prophecy. He is ushering prophetic words. And one out of every four words in the New Testament has some prophetic application. Did you know that? But every time prophecy is mentioned in the New Testament, connected to God's people... ...it's always a call for us to live for Jesus. To focus on Jesus, not to focus on events. And I will tell you, there is a whole media out there that can get us off the focus of Christ. Not intended, but it happens. I remember early in my ministry, there was a, a, a writer, Hal Lindsay, the late great planet Earth. And a fine man in many ways, but people would have thought, that's the Bible. More recently, wonderful, wonderful teacher, Tim LaHaye, Left Behind series. I've had people ask me all the time, well, what do you think about the Left Behind series? What do you think about that? Well, I think it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. I have incredible respect for that life and ministry of Tim LaHaye. But as you read the Left Behind series, you have to remember you're reading fiction. It's a story wrapped around Bible narrative. Friends, I'm not telling you not to read books that have a story written around the the Word of God, and the progress of a Christian, I'd say Pilgrim's Progress is a pretty good book, wouldn't you? But what am I telling you? Friends, there is no book like this book. Amen. Read this book. Based your faith on this book. And whatever your book you're reading is not the Bible. Read the Bible. And then read that book through the Bible. Read everything through the Bible. And it will keep you from getting too much of your precious limited time. Focused on things that are not causing you in faith to share Christ. Live for Christ. Expand the kingdom. It can pull you in if you're not careful. To a focus that's on looking around rather than Jesus has say, said to us, lift up your heads. Your redemption's drawing nigh. Amen. Read the Bible and then read everything else through the Bible. You want to know Jesus' calling? This is Jesus' calling read everything through the bible don't be fool don't be fearful don't be fearful verse 9 isn't this something he says all this is going to happen then he says don't be terrified I'm glad he said terrified. It's a specific word here, terrified, because it's not just quite the same as being afraid once in a while. I mean, there's plenty once in a while to grip your heart with some fear. But what is this talking about? Terrified means that a spirit of fear is upon you. That you're controlled by fear. It's not that you're just struggling with hard events, but you're you're. you're You're under the compulsion of a fear and your life is fear-based rather than faith-based. There is only one antidote for fear and that is faith. Faith in what? Not faith in what? Faith in whom? Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Times and seasons and persecutions will come. Praise God, they'll go too, right? But there is eternal King that rules over heaven and earth, Jesus Christ. Have faith in Christ. Number three, don't be fooled, don't be fearful, don't be failing in your opportunity. Don't fail in your opportunity. What's your opportunity in the middle of this? What's the opportunity? What are we supposed to do when these things happen to us? Are we supposed to build a bunker? What are we supposed to do? Find a place way out apart from everyone? Separate ourselves in modern monasticism? What are we to do? Well, listen to Jesus. Isn't it nice to listen to Jesus? Verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. This is your opportunity to bear witness. What did Jesus say that he is? He's the light of the world. What did he say that we are? The light of the world. We're just light reflectors. We're not the source of the light, but we reflect the light but what is light for? To scatter the darkness. Don't take your light and hide it under any bushel. Don't hide it under a bushel of any making. A special, especially a bushel of separating yourself from your opportunity to witness. A bushel of a narrow group where your witness is not out in the world. The Bible says we're not of the world. But we are to be what? In the world. In the world. As a witness. You see it's the darkest seasons. When we are in, when we're engulfed in darkness. That's when we can perhaps be the greatest light for Christ. You know I've thought of our brother Doug. Doug. All these weeks, all these weeks. And I've seen him walk it darker and darker and darker. But I tell you, I've also seen him be brighter and brighter and brighter as a witness for Christ. You say, Well, I don't know what I will say. <laughs> What what, what do I say? You don't worry about that. Jesus said, settle it therefore in your minds. Don't meditate beforehand on how to answer when you have this terrible crisis or you've called into a season of persecution. Don't meditate ahead of time on how to answer because you actually worry about that. (laughs) But what? He says, I will give you what? A mouth. And I will give you wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You know what? The apostles found themselves in some pretty hard times, right? And they were uncultured and untutored men as far as theology of the day was concerned. But people took note of them that they had been with Jesus. And they were commanded to stop talking about Jesus. They were commanded to stop mentioning this man's name. (laughs) And what was their answer? Well, should we obey you or should we obey God? And they ceased not to preach and teach Jesus. You know what the disciples said? Listen carefully, church. You're worried about your witness... You don't think that you know enough theology. Listen to what the apostles said. Acts 5.32 We are witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit. Amen. While you're witnessing. And it's not that great of a witness maybe. The Holy Spirit of God. Who is the witness of Christ is witnessing in a way you could never imagine. Don't be fearful, don't miss your opportunity. And then finally, Jesus, this ends with this I'll share with you. Don't be forgetful. Don't be forgetful. What does he say? Verse 18. Not a hair of your head will perish. Not a hair of your head will perish. Now, wait a minute. What did Jesus just say in verse 16? Some of you, they will what? Kill. But none of you are going to perish. How's that possible? Well, friend... To die physically is not to perish. Jesus said, I give my sheep everlasting life and they shall never perish. If you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you will die unless you live until Jesus comes. But you can never perish. Because to live is Christ. And what? To die is gain. Amen. I mean, if you ever thought about it, Jesus didn't do Lazarus any favors when he brought him back. <laughs> Did something for Mary and Martha. But Lazarus, no, I've got to go through that again. <laughs> you don't perish. You'll never perish. What's the worst that someone can do? Take your life. But they can't take your soul. That's been bought and paid for and it's in the hand of Jesus. Nobody's prying his hand open. Nobody's prying God the Father's hand open. You say, well, the devil... Well, he pries back the hand of Jesus. He pries back the hand of God the Father. He prized back the seal of the Holy Spirit to get you. And he gets inside the Holy Spirit. You know what? Praise God, he'd be a saved devil. That's not good theology. I'm just elaborating. You're safe in Christ. Because he is the victor. Don't forget, though, even though you are safe in Christ, you are not to sit around on your blessed assurance. (laughs) If you've been saved in Christ, what are you going to do? Persevere. You're going to press on. Verse, notice this, verse 19. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Doesn't mean you earn your salvation. No. That's a gift from Christ. But salvation in Christ is not neutral in its power. It's life-giving power. It's power that works in us. This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Our faith. Jesus said, don't quit. He who endures to the end will be saved. Don't quit. Sometimes I have said, maybe you've said, I just feel like giving up. Maybe that's, just be honest, that's where you are today. I just feel like giving up. Well, the best answer I've ever discovered for that temptation is this. To change the question. I just feel like giving up. To put it in this question, here's the question Give up on whom? Not give up on what. Give up on whom? Oh, brother, sister, you can't give up on Jesus. Where will we go? He has the words of eternal life. Where can we go? How can we leave our dearest friend? We can't quit on Jesus because Jesus is worth it all. Amen. And it will be worth it all when we see him. I want us to bow our heads just for a moment, and our team's going to come, but please listen carefully. Are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? You see, it's easy to be diverted on, uh, on a path that's not evil in itself. It, it's important to work hard. It's important to, to be devoted to good causes. It's important to have activities in your life. They all have their place. It's, but we follow Jesus. We give ourselves to Jesus. Some of you here, you feel like giving up. Ask the question, give up on whom? (laughs) Can I give up on Jesus, the one who didn't give up for my sake? Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing this. Make it our pledge. But I want to also offer it. Maybe you need to come down to the front and pray you'd like someone to pray with you, we'd be glad to do that. Our prayer team, elders here. But let's sing this. But let's make it our testimony. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, right? No turning back.